today I'm going to I want to step out of uh, I'm going to step out of the book of Acts today, where we have been for the majority of the year, and I want us to look at uh, 1 Corinthians 13, uh, which is a passage that uh, just about everybody is familiar with, or at least a certain part of it. Uh, even people who do not attend church regularly, or even at all, um, are probably familiar with at least some of this text, but just because it is so well known uh, and, and what, you know, it can become a little bit well-worn so much to the point that we sort of lose some of its importance or we forget some of its importance. But I want to, um, I really just want to spend a little bit of time, and you see it's called a more excellent way because that's what Paul is, is talking about. He's talking about gifts and what he can do and all of these great things, and he's really, he's, He's setting it up and he's driving toward the end as he's going to be talking more about spiritual gifts in 14. And finally, he's going to be talking about the resurrection in 15. But he's, he's talking about this, this way that is superior for how we are to live life and how we are to, to function as followers of Christ. And it's just got some really, really good stuff. And I think we all could use a dose of 1 Corinthians 13 from time to time. Um, you know, we just sang, basically, 1 Corinthians 13. We also just sang of 1 John 4. And if you want to put something there in 1 John 4, if you still use a hard copy Bible, uh, if you want to put a marker there in 1 John 4, we will eventually be there. Uh, if not, you can scroll, and that's pretty easy, and you know how to do those things. But we, you know, we sung both of the, the content of those, those chapters. You know, about the, the love of God and what that means. Uh, because there is just a lot of ugliness floating around out there. Is there not? And it is everywhere. And it is rampant. And, man, I just, I, I want a break from it. Don't you? Because it can just be a little bit overwhelming um, and, you know, it, it comes in all forms and shapes and sizes, and it comes from, from different kinds of people. Sometimes it's uh, people we know that it comes through. Sometimes it's people we have no affiliation with whatsoever, may not even know somebody's name. Um, sometimes it comes from us, if we're being totally honest, right? I mean, we are fully capable of being extremely ugly to one another, right? I don't mean just one another in here. Uh, I mean one another outside of our walls. You know, to play on our, 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 one of our mission works outside the wall. You know, it's, it's easy. Uh, and, and, you know, it's, it's pretty easy to be nice and to be loving inside the walls. You know what I'm saying? Be on good behavior when we're together. But sometimes when we're alone, and especially if we encounter something or someone, uh, it can be more challenging to love the way that we should, right? And there is just, I mean, there is just so much of it uh, that, that, that goes around. And, you know, when it hits you, it can really zap your energy. Um, you know, it can, it can send you off into some dark places. And just, I mean, it can, it can, it can marginalize you. It can isolate you. Uh, especially if you are inclined 
to believe what is said or to buy into what has been said about you, right? Um, not only that, when it comes from us to someone else, it gives the church a bad witness, right? It reflects poorly on who we are. On, it reflects poorly on who we follow. And it's, you know, it's one of the reasons why Christians are considered to be hypocrites because we don't know how to control our tongues and we don't know how to control our actions. And a lot of time, and I'll get to this in a minute. I don't want to get there just yet because I'd rather let Paul say it because he says it much more excellently, excellently than I can. Um, we might be right about something and be totally wrong about it at the same time. You know, it's almost a, a paradox, and we'll, we'll talk about it. And, and Paul lays that out. He gives us that, that scenario. But there's just so much of it going around, and it's just, I wish we as Christians would not participate in it. But a lot of times we do. And I, you know, I include myself in that, okay, because I can be just as ugly and I can be just as nasty and just as mean as somebody who is not a Christian, right? Uh, and, and we are all capable of that. And we have to acknowledge that. That every single person is capable of those kinds of things. But what we have to remember is if we are followers of Christ, then we've been born again. We've been given new life. We've put to death that old, that old way of life, that former self. We've put on Christ. We've clothed ourselves uh, with Christ. Uh, a guy by the name of uh, Bishop Michael Curry. Does that name ring a bell to anybody? It would to Glennis if she were here. Bishop Michael Murray was the bishop who spoke, who preached in the royal wedding a few months ago. And if you heard what he had to say, it was pretty powerful. Uh, as he went over there as an American, you know, is, as a, a bishop in the Episcopalian church, uh, and he spoke in the, the Anglican Church, which is the, you know, Episcopalian is the American version of the Anglican Church. Okay, so if you, there's not much separation, just one, uh, Anglican is Church of England, and then Episcopalian is the American version of that. So if you've ever wondered about the difference between those two, their theology is pretty much the same. There's some, some differences. But he spoke there, and he did a really, really good job. There's a... a, a, a an article that came out in the, uh, in the AJC, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, on uh, September 5th, and this is what he said, and I think, man, he captures so perfectly what, what I want to talk about this morning. He says, in our culture, in this country, particularly at this time, Christianity is often presented in such a way that it leaves Jesus of Nazareth and his love out of the equation. I think we are certainly in danger of losing our way. Does that make sense? Does that ring true? Yeah. He goes on in the article and he says, we, and he's talking about Christians, he says we need to reclaim our soul. Powerful, isn't it? 
And, you know, this statement has, has gone viral, which I'm glad, uh, because we need to hear it. You know, you get picked up by the, the AJC, that's a pretty big deal. Um, but he captures so perfectly what I want to talk about and what Paul is talking about. We have lost the superior way. We've lost the more excellent way. We've lost the, the high road, the high ground, and we've taken the lower road. Okay? Because right now, where we are, we are presenting a Christianity without Jesus, which is no Christianity at all. Right? Because how can you how can you be a Christian without Yet I'm afraid so many people attempt that in the way we live, in the way we talk, things we look at, um, places we go, people we might interact with and how we interact with them. We can present something Maybe without even meaning to, right? Because it's easy also to put things in boxes, right? And say, Sunday, Sunday's what day? It's the, we often call it the Lord's Day, right? Which means that Monday through Saturday is our day, right? Sunday's the Lord's Day. I'll be good on the Lord's Day. But every other day, those are mine, and, you know, I can do whatever I want on those days, because those, you know, those days aren't God's days, right? I think we, we can fall into that trap. You know, we hear it borne out in all kinds of stuff in the media, you know, and I haven't said this in a while, so I'll, I'll say it again. You know, one of the things that just drives me crazy about country music, you've heard me talk about the gospel according to country music that just makes me want to vomit is raise hell through the week and put an extra five in the plate at church on Sunday. Give me a break. As if we're just paying our way out of it. Or as long as I'm good on Sunday, I can do whatever else. Now, don't, you know, it'd be easy to say, well, you just don't believe in grace. No, I do. But I believe grace should motivate our behavior Monday through Saturday. Not go to church on Sunday because, golly, well, I gotta pay, I gotta get this all cleaned off of me. I gotta get regraced. You know? And I think when we do that, it's like you know how somebody is during the week. You know, maybe you work with them. Maybe they work with you. And then all of a sudden, you find out they're a Christian. Or, you know, they find out you're a Christian, and they're a Christian too, and neither one of you knew it. It's like two CIA agents have found each other. You know, it's like, Whoa. And you speak in code. Are you a, uh, you a, are you a MOTC? You're a member of the church? <laughs> you know, me too. Shh, don't tell anybody. Because the secret's out. But we do that, Right? See, our, um, keeping our spiritual life separated 
keeping it boxed, keeping it just another thing we do in a long line of, of things we do, um, presents false witness. Can lead others astray, can make people go, oh, man, wow, well, Christians are hypocritical. You act like this during the week, and you know? You sing about Jesus on Sunday with that mouth? You know, it's... There's got to be another way, okay? And especially if, if we're going to be serious about, about following Jesus. There's got to be another way. The, the more excellent way, the superior way, and that's what Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 13. In verse 1, he says, If I speak the languages of men and angels... But do not have love, I'm a sounding gong or a clanging cymbal. You know, the message, and, and, and this is basically what it is, that the, the message, you know, can be very eloquent. Okay, someone can have just a, a, a tongue loaded full of grace and speech, and it's just beautiful to hear someone stand up and orate. But if it is said without love... It's just a lot of noise. And that's what I mean about we're able to be right and wrong at the same time. Because we can be absolutely right that something is, is wrong, but be completely wrong about how we present that message. Does that make sense? If you don't think so, go read a comments section on a Facebook post about something that's kind of controversial. Okay? Just go and read the comments section of people who claim to be Christians and just read some of the stuff they say. Some of the nastiest stuff that is ever said is said or typed by people who call themselves Christians. The people who have said the most hurtful things to me in my life are people who call themselves Christians. Chances are some of you can relate to that. Should that be? That should not be the way things are. There's got to be another way. Have we forgotten the more superior way? Do we need to reclaim the soul of Christianity? Absolutely we do. And that's what Paul is saying. Look, if I've got all these great words and I speak the language of men and angels and I don't have love, I'm just a big, loud blowhard making a lot of noise. That's what he's saying. You can be right and wrong at the same time. He said, if I have the gift of prophecy and I have all faith so that I can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. I'm nothing. If I have the ability to, to speak, if I have the ability to teach and, and understand the message and the, the mysteries of Christ, but I give them to you by cramming them down your throat and telling you if you don't turn, you're going to burn. Guess what? That's the wrong delivery of the message. You have nothing. All you have is words. You have nothing. I have nothing. And that's what he's saying. Okay? He says this, and keep in mind, Paul is talking about himself. Okay? He's saying, if I, if I, if I, then I, then I. 
He says, if I donate all my goods to feed the poor, and if I give my body to be burned, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Sacrificial good deeds are completely worthless if they're not done out of a sense of love and compassion for others. Does that make sense? If it's just, oh, well, yeah, I'll, I'll help you. I'll give my money just to get you away from me. Okay? You just get a job. You know, whatever. Here, I'll give you money. Just, just go away. Just leave me alone. Well, heard people say that before. I'm not going to help you. Why don't you help yourself? We have to be compassionate. We can go and serve the poor. We can do all kinds of good. But if it is not backed up, motivated, compelled by the love of Jesus that Jesus has for us and the love that Jesus has for others, it is absolutely worthless. We gain nothing. Paul is, I mean, he's, he's laying it out right here. He's saying that's not the superior way, and I am afraid. You know, we love 1 Corinthians 13, especially the part that's coming up. But we totally forget the first three verses. It's like we just cut them right out of the Bible. And I think, I think when, uh, when, when Bishop Curry says we have a Christianity that is presenting itself without Jesus, I think that's verses 1 through 3 right there. I think that's what it looks like right there. I think he is absolutely 100% correct. And we, as the followers of Christ, we need to reclaim our soul. We need to reclaim the love of Jesus, which means we start acting like and loving like Jesus. Because if we do all these great things but don't do them in love, it just, what's the point? I think that's kind of what he's saying. And he says, here is what love looks like. And this is a, uh, you know, this, this is, it, you, if, you've, if you've been to a wedding recently, you may have heard this text. Um, four through the, the very beginning phrase of, of verse eight. And it's very common. This was read in my wedding. I've read this, this passage in weddings, and rightly so, because it gives us a picture of, of what love is. And if you've been to a wedding that I've performed where I use this passage, then I will often read it just as it says, but then I will take the, the bride or the groom, bride and the groom's name, and I will substitute love for that person's name. Okay, because it then really starts to put some flesh on what love looks like. Paul says, this is the more excellent way right here. Love is what? Patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It is not boastful. It is not conceited. It does not act improperly. It is not selfish. It is not provoked. It does not keep a record of wrongs. It finds no joy in unrighteousness, but it rejoices in the truth. 
Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never, and your version may say fails, but I think the better rendering is love never ends. Okay, and so that's a beautiful text, is it not? To take it and, and, and put it in there and say, Kelly is patient. Kelly is not provoked or irritable might be the word you use there, you know? It kind of puts more skin in the game. Does that make sense? Kind of makes it more real for you. And that's, you know, the, the, the minister that performed our wedding, that's what he did. He said, Jason is patient. Jason is kind. I was like, man, I've never thought of it that way until my wedding which is why it stayed with me and why I incorporate that. I don't do it in every wedding, but I do it in a lot of them because it, it just it, it, it brings Scripture to life in a way that I've never thought about before. But he says, this is, this is what love looks like. This is God's kind of love. And this is supposed to be an out, it's inward and outward. It's, it's, it's utterly unselfish. And it's supposed to be shown to all people that we, we come in contact with. This is the kind of love that Christ showed to all, right? And if he's our example and we follow him, if we take up our cross daily like Luke says and follow after him, then this, this needs to be what motivates us right here. This is what love looks like. When I leave the house, okay, I am patient. When I leave the house, I'm going to be kind. I'm not going to envy my coworkers who might have a better job, better pay, better house, better car, better this, better that, better whatever. And I'm not going to boast about my better house, better car, better job, better pay, better whatever. I'm not going to be conceited. But I'm going to be humble. I'm not going to act improperly on social media or in the checkout lane when somebody has 12 items in the 10 items or less line. I'm glad that's more of a struggle for more people in here than just me because that one's a struggle for me, okay? I want to set that one right. I'm like, you know you got 15 items. It clearly says 10. I know you can read. I will not keep a record of wrongs. Nobody's guilty of that one. Though. We're good with that one. That one's not a struggle. But it is, isn't it? Keeping a record of wrongs. I remember what you did. I remember what you said. I remember how you acted. I remember that time when I needed your help and you wouldn't help me. Well, guess what? Here's the come up. Because now you need my help, and I'm not going to help you. Because I remember. That'll destroy a marriage faster than anything. Will it not? Aren't we glad that the list of offenses against us was nailed to the cross?
Colossians 2.14 says, And when you were dead in your trespasses in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses. He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations. In other words, he erased the record of wrongs. That's what that means. He erased the record of wrongs. With its obligations, the wages of sin is death. He has taken it out of the way by nailing it to the cross. But you know what I think we do sometimes? Maybe, I, I don't know, I guess we think Jesus isn't looking, so we tiptoe back over to the cross. Stick that in my pocket for later. And I'm going to pull it out when it's going to hurt you the most. That's what we do, right? The list of offenses. Love keeps no record of wrongs. And that's tough. It's not, I mean, that one's, man, when somebody has hurt you, that one is incredibly difficult to live up to, which means it's a continual practice. It's not like a one and done, hey, I've put it there, it's on the cross, I'm leaving it there. It's like, oh, I've taken it off the cross again. Jesus is saying, leave it there, but I keep, bringing it up, I keep holding it against you. And if we continue to bring something up, it means we've not forgiven the other person. And it is a, a, a good reminder that we still need to be forgiving. Okay, we have to be forgiving. Love never ends. Now, when I do the weddings, I say love never fails. But love never ends works better because it works in context with what Paul said in the first three verses. Because he says, but as for prophecies, remember he kind of opened up talking about these things. As for prophecies, guess what? They will come to an end. As for languages, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. These gifts come to an end. And that's what those are. These are gifts. They come to an end. But the graces of faith, hope, love, all those things are going to remain. He says, for we, we know in part and we prophesy in part. Meaning, we don't fully understand everything yet. We've got a lot of the story, but we don't completely, we haven't completely grasped it but when the perfect comes, in other words, he's talking about the eschaton. He's talking about new heavens and new earth. He's talking about the renewal of all things. And, 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 and when things on earth are like they are in heaven, when the perfect comes, when the perfect comes, the partial will come to an end. We'll have full knowledge. We will understand it better by and by. Because we will fully understand Jesus. Fully understand His mission. Fully understand what love and grace and forgiveness is because we're going to see people there that we do not expect to see with Jesus. You know what I'm saying? It says, when I was a child, I, I 
spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child, like so many of us now. You know, when we do those first three things, boy, we can get pretty childish, can we not? But when I became a man, I put aside childish things. In other words, when I, when I grew in my faith, when I let Christ mature me and, and show me the more excellent way, I put aside childish things. In other words, what he's saying is, is you know, these things, they're, they're child play. We've got to grow up into the real stuff. For now, we see indistinctly as, as in a mirror. In other words, we sort of have a poor reflection of what it's like. You know, we sort of have an idea of what things are going to look like right now. But then, when the perfect comes, but then, face to face, we'll see, we'll understand. Now, I'm known in part, but then I will be, I will know fully as I am fully known. Then he kind of puts a cap on all of it right here in verse 13. He says, now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Why is it the greatest? Because, I mean, faith's pretty good, right? Hope is... Pretty good, right? So why is love? Why does it get the, the top billing here? Well, here's why. Because when the perfect comes, faith becomes sight. When the perfect comes, hope becomes reality, but love never, what, ends. Do you see it? Love never ends. Love trumps everything. If we would remember that, how much better would our world be when we encounter people that we don't agree with, that are diametrically opposed to everything we stand for, if we remember these things, that love wins, how would that change our encounter with somebody we disagree with? Even if we continue to disagree with them, how would it change our encounter? Paul knew what he was talking about. John did too. He talks about knowing God through love in 1 John chapter 4. In verse 7, I'm going to read this quickly. He says, Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. That sounds like a song. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. Okay? If you don't know love, let's, let's just break it down so we know what, Paul, what, what John is saying. If you don't know love, you don't know God. That's, I mean, that's what he's saying. He's putting it all on the table right here. If you don't know love or if you don't live love, if you don't do the love that, that Paul's just talked about, then you don't know God. Because God is love. God's love was revealed among us this way, that God sent His one and only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. Love consists in this, that we loved God 
but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we must also love nobody except ourselves. No, no, did I read it wrong? Oh, oh, oh. If we love God, we must also love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God remains in us, and his love is perfected in us. This is how we know that we remain in him and he in us. He has given to us from his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God remains in him and he in God. And we have come to know and believe the love of God and God remains in us. God is love. And the one who remains in love remains in God and God remains in him. In this, love is perfected. Perfected with us so that we may have confidence on the day of judgment for we are his. For we are as he is in the world. There is no fear in love. Let that one sink down on you for just a minute. Because we live in a culture of fear. But there is no fear in love. That's pretty heavy. Perfect love drives out fear. Because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because He loved us first. And that's our motivation for how we, we deal with people. Now, this is easy to preach about, but it is tough to live out. I mean, it's incredibly difficult, and it seems like we run into this challenge on a, a weekly, if not daily basis of living out love and, and what it means to truly be a, a follower of Christ. But here's the point I want to make right here. Without love, we are nothing. Does that make sense? Without love, we are nothing. But with love, we have everything. We have come to completion in God. We have no fear. We have what we need to survive in our world. We have what we need to deal with others the way that Jesus dealt with others. We have patience. We have kindness. We're not irritable. We keep no record of wrongs. And that love, if we love the way God loves, then God's love remains in us. And we can live a life without fear. 
Because perfect love drives out fear. Because in the end, and, and this is what we have to understand about our culture, we have to believe, because I think we have forgotten, we have forgotten who wins in the end. Scratch that. We have forgotten who's already won. We have forgotten who has already won, and it's Jesus when he took our list of offenses and nailed it to the cross. But we forget that. And so fear then drives, compels, motivates us. All you got to do is turn on the news for one minute. Okay? Even the weather is scary right now, right? I mean, come on. It's everything. The perfect love drives out fear, and we must love people if we are going to claim to love God without love we have nothing we're nothing but a bunch of hot air windbags just making a bunch of racket but with love we have everything including including our salvation that comes when God dis, uh, displayed his great love by sending Jesus to die on the cross so that's what it is and there's the there's the message for the day. Without love, we got nothing. With love, we have everything. We have everything that God ever destined us to have. Let's pray together.